Welcome to Kicking It Local, the podcast all about the football community. I'm your host, Johnny Kekko, and today I'm joined by a former A-League and NSL player, and he's also the first Indigenous footballer to score for the Socceroos, and is now the head coach of Croydon FC in the NPO in South Australia. Travis Dodd, thanks for joining me, mate. Johnny, thanks for having me. I can't wait to chat to you today, because there's a lot of things I want to get through. Your time in the NSL, also your time at LA United, I'm a huge LA United fan, and that period you were there, we won the uh, Premier's Plate in the first season, and then a couple of grand finals, which I don't want to talk about. Neither <laughs> do I. <laughs> and, um, and also, the one bit I'm looking forward to talking later in the, uh, in the show is uh, about your work in the Indigenous community, what you do for the coaching side of that, and some exciting things coming up as well sure. for yourself in that, in that realm, and also your time at the Socceroos because you scored in your debut and also it was a very uh, important goal as well for not only Australia but also for um, Indigenous footballers. But first of all, Adelaide City was where it all started for you. 16 years old and uh, you were the youngest, fourth youngest NSL player for Adelaide City to play for them at 16 years old and 281 days. How was that life for you? Yeah, look, um, it feels like a lifetime ago now um, but... Yeah, at the time I didn't really, didn't really think anything of that. Uh, playing at a, a young age, uh, it was just a progression that was happening yeah. with my football. I was fortunate enough to to be able to you know, make it through the state teams, the the young national teams, the under seventeens, the under twenties, uh, and the, the career just progressed from there. Uh, so I was very fortunate to be uh, a part of uh, a squad that had yeah. some unbelievable players there at the time. Who was in that squad at the time? Do you remember? Yeah. So it was, uh, Alex Tobin was still playing, oh, Milan wow. Ivanovic, um, Damien Murray. So yeah. I was a uh, teammate with him. Uh, my, my current technical director, Mark Brazali, Ange Costanzo, yep. um, Costa Salapacides, who, um, it's a shame he didn't go on and do great things because he scored uh, four goals against Argentina in, yep. a, in a Youth World Cup. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, some of the some of the bigger names definitely to to have played with. Oh wow, some, yeah, some really big names there as well. Now you're coaching against someone like Damien Murray as well. Yeah. Does uh, do you have uh, fond memories with him? And then um, do you guys get along well? Yeah, yeah, I get along well with Damien. Um, I have to say he did break my heart when I was at Adelaide <laughs> City. Um, I, I was well. I was seventeen. I just turned eighteen, actually. I think at the time, uh, and I'd gone away with the the under twenty Australian team, and we we were going into camp. Yeah, uh, we're in camp in Darwin there for a week or so, and then we were flying out to Samoa for the uh, World Cup qualifiers. Uh, last trial game that we were playing it was against a Northern Territory select team. Uh, I was playing and unfortunately got injured pretty badly. Uh, it was the first significant injury that I had in my career. Uh, dislocated my ankle, so ended up having surgery uh, in Darwin, and I was out for about six six months. Oh wow! Um, so it was a pretty significant injury. Uh, anyway, came back, got got back from the injury. Uh, I remember going out on loan to Marconi as well to to play in the tournament that they play in Viareggio in Italy, uh, get with all the youth teams from yep. from around the world, which was a great experience. And that was just to get match fitness up um, to be able to be ready for selection mm. for the for the World Cup. As it turned out, we had the selections, and and I remember stretching with Damien one night before training and we're doing calf stretches in the warm up, and he goes, oh, it's along the lines of, oh, bad luck. I said, what do you mean? 
goes, oh, you didn't make the you didn't make the World Cup squad. And I said, oh, really? I said, I, I didn't know. So he was the one that broke it to oh, me no. that, uh, that I didn't make the, the World Cup squad. So uh, I was pretty shattered that night. He did it on purpose, didn't he? <laughs> I think he tried to rattle me. Nah, nah look, I, it's, I mean, I'm assuming that he would have thought that I knew, yeah. obviously. Um, you know, the club obviously knew, but I yeah. hadn't been told. And look, that was probably the first big setback in my career, not to have made that. Um, yeah. yeah, I was in that in that squad for the, you know, all of the build-up, you know, some great players there as well with uh, Colosimo, Emerton, Bresciano, mm, Cellina, um, Grella. Uh, yeah, it was, that was an unbelievable squad to, to, to have been part of. But unfortunately, um, yeah, it didn't make the final cut. Well, you did later on make it into the soccer race. Before that, you did, um, had to work a bit in the NSL. You were in there for a little bit, but then you made a little switch over to uh, overseas, went to Greece. Yeah, where you played UEFA Cup as well and scored in that first uh, first round of that. What was that experience like? Yeah, well, the, the reason for going overseas at the time was the, the NSL had finished, mm. um, and there was there was no league here anymore. Uh, I'd initially gone to Malaysia, so uh, Ante Milicic, yeah. um, former Macarthur coach, uh, was a teammate of mine. Uh, Parramatta Power, um, he'd organised for me to go to Malaysia and that didn't work out at all. Um, it was only going to be a short-term contract anyway for three months, but uh, I think I stayed about six weeks, didn't get, didn't get on well with the, the coach at all. Um, some very differing opinions on, yep. on me as a player. So I came back and, and got a trial in Greece. Um, at the time, I don't know, my expectations weren't weren't that high going over. Um, thought I'd just give it a crack. Now, got over there, did a four-day trial and somehow signed because I say somehow because I wasn't any in any condition for match fitness or anything yeah. like that. Uh, um, Malaysian football was pretty pretty laid back uh, at the time. But, yeah, to be to be selected and, and get a contract. Mm. Now, the contract wasn't great. Everybody thinks that when you go to Europe, you're earning millions of dollars. Yeah. But... Honestly, I was probably earning more in Australia that last year in the NSL, but I saw it as an opportunity because we're in UEFA Cup qualifiers to you know try and get a foot in the door to yep. Europe that way. So uh, yeah, playing against Udinese in the the home and away leg of the the qualifier, um, you know, scoring there was unbelievable. Mm. Um, I was playing as a right back uh, at the time, oh, so. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I can't even remember. I think the score was three one, three nil, three one. That that home leg, um, but that was that was uh, an unbelievable. At the time, that was uh, my biggest achievement. You know, to have to have scored in the UEFA Cup match. Yeah, and then the reason why he came back was it to do with change of coach. No, no, there was there was a change of coach because I was I was playing quite a bit in yep. the beginning. We had a, a foreign coach, um, and as happens in Greece quite regularly. Um, yeah, the coaches get turned over, yep. sacked, um, as it would be. And the, the coach that they brought in was uh, a Greek local coach and he just didn't play me. Didn't He got rid of, yep. didn't get rid of, but he stopped playing uh, a lot of the foreigners that were at the club at the time. And it probably went for about four or five weeks where you know, I wasn't getting much information. He wasn't really talking to me. Um, my Greek was... Yeah, it wasn't great. Uh, I could understand a bit, and then, yeah, after five or six weeks, he just came up to me and started speaking in English to me. So, 
um, maybe it was a bit of a test yeah. um, to, to put me through the ringer, which he certainly did. Um, but yeah, no, no, the, reason, the main reason that I came back is um, my wife was pregnant with our second oh. child. Um, we'd had an experience you know, with the hospital system over there and um, unfortunately her father passed away suddenly. Oh. So everything... Uh, happened, you know, the stars didn't align for me, I guess, yep. for that. And then uh, I guess the, the straw that broke the camel's back was uh, a game where the there was alleged match fixing in the UEFA Cup. Yep. So, um, in your game? Yeah, in our game. So it was, uh, it was a game against uh, Dinamo Tribulti yep. from Georgia. Uh, and I hadn't been playing, for, as I said, um, for a number of weeks. And then um, this game I got put into put into the game and uh yeah it was a, it was an odd game um we ended up uh we were losing one nil at half time and ended up winning the game five two oh, so wow. i'd actually heard afterwards that betting had been suspended a couple of days before because they were taking too many regular bets uh, um yep. for the half time full time correct score which is obviously crazy one nil five mm. two um but yeah i came back and and that was it i'd already started talks with uh, John Cosmina and, and Michael Petrillo at Adelaide United, and you know, the, it just worked out um, nicely for me to, to come home at that time. What was it like coming, yeah, when you came home, what was it like to be a part of that team? Because they'd already been one season in the NSL, but their first year in the uh, A-League, what was that like to be a part? Yeah, it was a huge buzz, uh, definitely, because it was a new league. It mm. was uh, There was heaps of hype uh, around the league. I remember going over to, to Sydney and filming in the, the first commercial for the A-League and there was just so much excitement and, and buzz uh, about what this new league was going to bring and that certainly um, flowed through to, to games, to crowds and there was great support for us um, in those early days and yeah, it, was, it was fantastic to be part of um, you know, the first year of the A-League. Do you reckon it's dwindled off since that period? Well, certainly if you look at the crowd <coughs> yeah. figures over the years, unfortunately it has dwindled and there's always there's always going to be reasons why. And yeah. I guess the last couple of years has been, unfortunately, because of COVID. Yeah. Um, but but look, it's uh, it's it's hard for the league. They, they need to try to keep invigorating and, and innovating what they can do better and, and how they can get more eyeballs mm. on the game. My thought has always been that the... The professional league needs to be on free to air um, to get as many young kids watching the game as possible. Because you, know, you look at NRL and AFL, it's all free to air. They get to see their their heroes yeah. every week on TV. They don't need to rely on uh, pay TV to to be able to watch players play. We've only got one game on there at the moment. Do you reckon that's enough, or do you reckon it needs to be as many as possible? Yeah, no, it's not enough. No yeah. way. Um, yeah, look, it's you understand from a from a league perspective is because it's a it's a revenue earner for yeah. them. There's no doubt about it, and you know potentially because these other free to air stations have already invested so heavily in in other codes that they're just not interested in in football. But yeah, we truly are the world game. Mm. You know the amount of people that we get for World Cups and uh, watching World Cups and you know, things like that. It's it's just a shame that that we can't get you know, the same hype about our league because you know the product is uh, it's still a good product. Now you were at LA United for six years. Um, that in that period you won the Premier's Plate in the first season, and then a couple of grand finals, which we don't want to talk about those. Um, but also, uh, but the other thing um, 
you were the captain, the fourth captain of Adelaide United, took the armband from Michael Valcanis. What was that moment to to represent your the state's team in the in the uh, only professional league in Australia? Well, um, that was that was another huge honour. I hadn't been hadn't really been a captain before. hadn't you know, hadn't been bestowed that honour. Yeah. Um, I was made vice captain at the start of the season. Um, really, Ovidmar was the the coach, and he said, "Look, the the plan is for you to." To be an understudy to to Michael for a uh, for a year or two, and then you know look to to progress from there if if it all works out. Uh, unfortunately, Michael got injured. He did a, an ACL early on in the season. It was only it was it was very early in the season, and you know, I was thinking to myself, well, here we go. I'm going to be captain. But uh, had a chat to Vidi, and and he still wanted me to to be that understudy type yep. um, vice captain and, and learn and. Fair point because I'd never been a vice captain either. So, uh, Paul Agostino um, in his skipper at the time, uh, and unfortunately Ago was injury prone, um, picked up a couple of injuries. So uh, at that point, you know, Vidi uh, made me captain full time. So it was it was a huge honour, uh, and it's something that I felt like I grew into over yep. over that period of a, a couple of years and uh, something to, to be very proud of, um, you know, to be not only the, the captain but um, an Indigenous captain of a, mm. of the, the, the team in based in Adelaide. I think you're the only Indigenous captain for that team, I reckon. I don't think there's been any since. No, no, uh, I don't think so. Freddie, Freddie Ages was the club, but I don't think, mm. um, don't think he was captain at the time. Yep. Yeah. And what was the uh, that period like for you? What was one of your highlights? Oh, look, there was, there was a lot, to be honest, because at that time uh, we had uh, Nick Bianco and Dario yeah. Fontanarosa, Sam Sedicasi, you know, people behind the club, um, running the club, and it was a, it was a genuine family environment. You yeah. know, people loved being around the club. We'd have Thursday, Thursday barbecues, media barbecues after, after training, and, yeah, at those times we were getting – 40 50 people to these to oh, these wow. lunches and it's for a media barbecue and like the the work that that the club did and uh specifically Don Ronaldo who was the media manager at the time um you know promoting the club did did so well but it was just an environment where everyone wanted to be part of so i think because of that we we bonded really well as a team and you know the the highlights at the time were obviously the the, the Asian Champions League making the final, unfortunately, uh, another loss there, uh, but also the the Club World Cup for yeah. sure. With the Asian Champions League, that was, I know everyone now remembers or the Eastern Seaboard remembers Western Sydney Wanderers winning it, but for that period, for Adelaide to get to the grand final against Gamba Osaka, unfortunately lose the way they did, but... The way um, you guys went through that run, and there's a doco, I think it was on Fox Sports back a few, about five, five or so years ago, and spoke about what you guys had to go through with traveling and passports and all that at the airports. What was it like for you to, to be a part of that and just get through all, um, all those hurdles? Yeah, no, it was, it was crazy times. Um, yeah, the, I guess the adversity that we're up against mm. compared to uh, other teams in that competition um financial constraints was the biggest one uh you know we we were up against scheduling from even from the federation at the time because we didn't get any assistance from the league you know regardless of our schedule Mm. of playing in the champions league 
the games for the A-League were set and, and they weren't changing. And there are a couple of moments that stand out for me. Uh, they, we went to, in particular in the semi-final, um, we were in Brisbane, we played against uh, Queensland Raw, and then we had to fly to Uzbekistan. So that felt like it took an eternity to get there with stopovers and delays and, and whatnot. But go over there, um, which was the second leg, um, and, you know, I won't say scrape through, but you know we lost one nil and won three one on aggregate. Um, but we flew out on on a Thursday, arrived on a Friday, and then played on a Saturday yep. um, at home against Perth, and we won that game as well. So, you know the the travel that we had to do was phenomenal, and yeah, I don't think that the the playing group, you know, got enough credit mm. you know, at the time for how hard that really was um, because, yeah, you look at AFL players complaining yep. about having to travel from Sydney to Melbourne and, <laughs> yeah. and whatnot. So, uh, or locally, some people complaining to go to Port Perry. <laughs> yeah. Or South Adelaide for me. <laughs> yeah. There you go. You put in comparison, you guys uh, did a very good job. But what was it? It would have been some weird things you would have seen during that period. Any strangest moments that you had during that um, the travels? Oh, look, I know, again, for our gamers in Uzbekistan, we we took a chef um, at the time. So yeah. uh, I think the Australian team or the young, I think the Joeys, yep. the under-17s, had just been in Tashkent and there were some concerns about, you know, getting sick from the food and, and whatnot. And uh, the club, you know, put... Uh, got a chef in place and sent him over a couple of days before to go and take control of the kitchen, yep. clean it from top to bottom and uh, and make sure that, you know, the food we got was um, you know, all okay. I think we even took food with him, um, you know, <laughs> pastas and sauces and canned or canned stuff. But, um, yeah, that was that was strange for us because yeah. you know, we travelled domestically and, you know, that had, you know, it's all good. But even internationally, when we tr- uh, travelled before, we'd never had that. So, yeah, something like that was was really bizarre. Um, you know, when Bunyad Corps came to Australia, uh, they'd, they'd called the club and, and asked them where they could park their jet, you know, because they were flying a private, they were coming over on uh, a private jetliner um, and wanted to know where you park us. Like, guys, you park it at the airport. Where, where else are you going to leave it? You're not going to come and... Roll it up next to the stadium. Yeah, but, Holden Street. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there's not even enough room for cars there, let alone uh, a jumbo. But yeah, you know, the, the, they were some of the weird things that that we were up against, and yeah, you know, it's it's just phenomenal to think that uh, a team from Australia at the time on you know, a budget of mm. probably two million bucks for the squad um, was competing against you know, budgets of twenty million plus. Yeah, I remember one team had one player that had uh, the same amount that you guys were making as a team. Yeah. Oh, that's particularly in Bunyut Corps. They had multiple because um, yeah. Rivaldo was there that's at the right. time. Um, they had a, a Chilean international striker uh, and even speaking to uh, each, each team's given um, like a chaperone when you're over there, we're chatting to them. And yeah, I think the average time, the average wage, sorry, there at the time was, was about 20,000 US a week. So Jeez. Yeah, it was uh, it was huge money compared to what we were getting, and that period because you got to the grand final, you got a place in the uh, FIFA Club World Cup. What was that experience like to be a part of the the Club World Cup? That was huge. Mm. 
you know, to be to be in something like that um, was phenomenal. I think South Melbourne had been um, yeah. they'd competed in it I before. Think Sydney yeah. FC as well, I think. So yeah, no, it was it was huge. Um, you know, Manchester United were there, and whereas remember, you know, we were one game off playing mm. Man United. Um, had we beaten uh, Gamba in that opening round, um, which. Yeah, we potentially should have because uh, I know myself, I had a, a really good opportunity to, to score and I've still kicked myself. <laughs> um, yeah, there was speculation and yeah, there was talk that yeah, I might be able to get a move to Asia as well. Um, yeah, I always think, what if I scored that game? Would that have sealed the deal for me? But um, yeah, to be able to be in a tournament with mm. yeah, yeah, teams like Manchester United was huge. I think we beat... Uh, Waker, it was a uh, white. I can't remember. Oh, and yeah, 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 the, the, the New Zealand, Zealand team. Yeah. yeah, yeah, in the first game. Yeah, um, I think I scored in that one actually. Uh, scored a header, um, but yeah, that was. Um, it was just a great experience today. The the professionalism mm. there um, to be part of a yeah, a FIFA run tournament um, with that's held in such high regard. It was uh, it was a great achievement, and yeah, the the club at the time with Nick Bianco. Um, was fantastic as a reward to all of the staff. He he took everyone uh, over to Japan as well, which oh, wow. was yeah, it was amazing. Um, so not only are the players there, but we're getting support from from the whole club um, to to be part of that tournament. Now Nick Bianco time at the club was probably looked like it was like very much like a family. So what was some of the best things? Because you mentioned the the things about the media day and all that, but what was it about the team that helped the team? perform well as well yeah look it was uh, i mean i was the inclusivity um you know unfortunately football in australia uh nine times out of ten is going to be a business where you lose money Mm. and uh i think yeah if you come into the game expecting to make money then you're going to be in for a rude shock but nick would always give us whatever we needed you know we uh you know, whether it's whether it was players, whether it was you know um, equipment, whether it was to do uh, extra things off the park, um, you know, it was just at a, a really good environment. You know, he would include us with his own business, um, you know, and have Christmas parties where we would get invited to that and and be included mm. there. So it was it was an environment where Nick and Dario made you feel like. You were you were part of the, his family, yeah. Um, their family, and it was, and because of that, I think it, you just felt like it was a responsibility to give back as well. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you get you get all of this stuff, you get treated so well. So we go out there as a team, and yeah, you know, we give everything we can every do, week. Do you reckon A League clubs are missing owners like that these days? Because I don't think there's many like that anymore. Yeah, look, it's it's hard. Um, you know you. There's club owners that treat it like a business, which it is. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Nick and Dari were a bit different where it was a passion. You know, it was a real passion and uh and they were they they're both proud South Australians. Um Nick Nick's Italian, but yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um and just had a real passion for yep. seeing South Australia succeed. Um, you know, other owners have different interests um mm. you know club owners want to come in and and develop players and try and sell players and, and make money off players i don't think that was ever the intent with um with nick and dario at the time now you had all these amazing times at la united some great experiences throughout that but you're you were highly regarded by the fans as one of their favorites at the time and but unfortunately your time there was very abrupt when you left and ended up going to perth glory to finish off your a-league career 
Can you talk a little bit about what why it was so abrupt and what happened? Yeah, look, I it wasn't my intention to leave. Uh, I did think that I was going to be at Adelaide United until the end of my career. Um, but unfortunately, I guess I learned at the time, you know, really learned at the time that football is a business mm. and players are treated as a commodity and, you know, you can doesn't matter what you've done for the club or you know what you've what you uh, what you represent for the club. Um, if you're perceived as not being useful, then you'll be discarded. Um, and essentially, that was the way that it panned out. Um, you know, I thought thought at the time that you know it was potentially you know the coach who was really calling at the time, um, didn't want me. I've been told multiple different things that yep. it was um, club owners that didn't want me. Uh, so, look, it's it's hard to know. Mm. I'm sure the truth lies somewhere in between. But, you know, my intention wasn't to leave. Um, but, you know, they say things happen for a reason. And Perth was a great time for me. Um, you know, went over and we played in the grand final that first year uh, against uh, Brisbane Raw. Fortunately, I lost that one as well. Um, mm. But, you know, I've met some great friends from my time in Perth. We were there for four years. Um, ended on a sour note in terms of playing with a, an ACL injury, which ultimately ended my career. But, you know, I've still got friends that we keep in touch with from our time in Perth and we still uh, we still go on holidays with them. So, yep. you know, whilst, you know, the... You know, you move on from here um, with football. You it, it's opened up doors that I wouldn't have um, otherwise have had. Would you have wished that LA United did send you off in a better fashion? Or uh, look, it would be would have been, it would have been great. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. It would have been great to to have finished my career here, to have played. You know, those extra three years mm. uh, at the club. But in saying that, as I said, um, you know, I did have good times and I met great people. Yep. Um, great teammates in Perth. Um, you know, one one former teammate of mine who unfortunately has passed away was uh, Liam Miller, mm. um, who was a roommate of mine, um, but just a great, great person. Um, great family man. Um, such a good blast with him on away trips um, and, you know, formed some really close relationships with, with teammates over there as well. What about Scott Jamison? Do you still keep in touch with him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Scotty, um, yeah, he's he's one of my closest mates as well. Yeah. Um, I was there for their their grand final win, um, there to support him. Um, couldn't get over for their, their second grand final or their third grand final um, in a row, but um, the loss because we were coaching here. But, you know, Always there for support, for support um, yep. for him, and you know, always giving him a bit of stick along the way. I, <laughs> you got it. I do, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I say to him that, you know, all the time that I took him under my wing here at Adelaide United when he couldn't make it, couldn't cut it. I tell him he couldn't cut it in the UK. That's why he had to come back. Um, I went to Perth. Yeah, he went to Sydney. Um, he couldn't cut it there, so he had to come to Perth with me, where um, we had to take him under my wing again. And then I think from there he went to Sweden. Um, couldn't cut it. No, I shouldn't say that. But he couldn't. Um, no, then he then he came back. But look, like he's done very well for himself. Yeah. Um, you know, as as skipper for Melbourne City mm. now, first championship winning skipper, which 
he'll always hold over me yep. now that he's got um, a championship that, that I don't have. Um, but, you know, he'll go down you know, as one of the greats in the A-League mm. um, when, when his time comes to a close as well. And I think it's he's one of those players that plays, uh, fans from the oppos- opposite team love to hate him. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Uh, and, and I get it as well yeah. because you know, I still do commentary for the A-League um, and, and I look at him and he's just an angry little man. Yeah. <laughs> but he's just passionate. He's just, it he's, is. And he's yeah. just a winner and he just wants to win every time. So uh, I think a lot of the time... And this is what he does well. A lot of the time, he just like that niggle just to wind mm. people up, and and that's what you need. And he does it so well. Yeah, um, he's like a, a I guess a, a mini version, mini mini version of Kevin Musker. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no one could be a, a full uh, full on <laughs> yeah. replica of him. <laughs> that's it. But um, Matt, talking about uh, that's your your career. So much more that happened in that period, but. The one thing I want to talk about is the national stage. You managed to um, to represent Australia um, and the Socceroos as well with your debut in the AFC Asian Cup, and you scored in that as well against Kuwait. Yes. So what was that? As on a personal level, what was that like to score in that game, especially uh, in Australia as well? Yeah. Look, coming into that game, um, it was our first year of being part of the Asian Confederation. So um the the asian cup was the first mm. tournament that we were qualifying for as a as a nation and we needed to win that game to qualify for that for that asian cup uh as it turned out it didn't fall an international window so none of the 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 overseas players were able to come back so graham arnold had to put a squad together based from the A-League. So uh, I was fortunate enough to, to be part of that squad mm. and, and to get a start. And I do remember walking out and singing the national anthem in front of 33,000 people at Sydney Football Stadium. It was an unbelievable moment because, you know, prior to that, we'd really seen the Socceroos on, on the big stage. It would only ever be in the real yep. one-off matches, mm. you know, for World Cup qualification or, you know, exhibition games friendlies and things like that so to be part of that um you know knowing that you're representing your country and yeah. i had friends and family there supporting as well it was great um you know the icing was clearly scoring on debut um that's something that can never be taken away from you and it's something that i'll tre- cherish as one of my most uh, significant um achievements in the game and you went on to win that game two two new, I believe. And um, but on a another level, because that's the personal level, was your first ever goal. But for another level, the Indigenous community, you were the very first Indigenous footballer to score for the Socceroos. Yeah, I didn't. I actually didn't know that until after the game. Um, Mike Cockrell you know, interviewed me and, and yep. told me that, and I was like, well, okay, yeah, wow, it's pretty pretty significant. Um, so yeah, it's it's something that I'm immensely proud of. Um, but Johnny, you did forget to mention the assist. So I set up the second one as well. So <laughs> one goal and one assist. Uh, Sorry, I forgot from, about that <laughs> from my from my debut game. So uh, no, it was, look, it was something that that I'm yep. hugely hugely proud of. Um, unfortunately. Yeah, it didn't really kick on from there. Yeah. Um, I was able to get one more cap um, against Bahrain, um, but but ultimately I was I was in and coming through a, a generation mm. with the golden generation players, and um, you know, extremely extremely difficult squad to to break into um, at the time. And I was yeah around two thousand six, so that's when everyone just started coming through. So yeah. 
Yeah. Would have been a tough one to play with, but it would have been great to be around those players as well back then. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, the the second, my second cap, which was later on down the track, um, was was just after the World Cup, mm. and it was the first time that the that that squad had been brought back together um, since the World Cup in Australia. So uh, I was part of that, and yep. you know, Tim Kale was there, Lucas Neal, um, Kalat, Schwarzer. Yeah, that was it was huge. Um, Popovich was there uh, to be to be around those types of players, yeah. and yeah, it, it's hard not to be in awe of these guys as well because yeah, on one on one level you're a professional footballer just like they are, but yeah, these are guys that are playing in the the top leagues in the world at the time, and yeah, it was just great to be around that environment. And go back to the being the first ever Indigenous footballer to score for the Socceroos. Um, you were the fourth ever um, Indigenous player to represent the Socceroos. Um, so, for yourself personally, what do you? How do you feel about about that? Only being four of up until your point was only four, and no one had scored yet as an Indigenous footballer. Yeah, it's it's sad. I think. Um... Yeah, and I think since I've played, there's only been a couple yep. um, of Indigenous players that have represented the Socceroos uh, since since I've played. So, look, it's it it's an area of the game in Australia where we can improve massively. Um, you know, the, we see in the Matildas that there's there's players coming through there yep. now, which is great to see. Um, so great involvement uh, from the the female side of the game, but it's it's clear that. The, the game in Australia, we don't promote enough within yeah. the Indigenous communities or, you know, promote enough within even the metro areas um, within the Indigenous communities here. So, look, there's there's definitely scope to improve there uh, and it's something that I'm currently doing some work with to, to try and improve that so we can see future stars in our uh, Socceroos and Matildas. Now, the, the one thing you're working on, tell me a little bit about that one. I think it's the um, First Nations Indigenous Football Cup. Yeah, that's right. So that's uh, that's coming up. Um, it'll be the first time that South Australia's mm. had a team in that, uh, oh, that wow. event. So the, the tournament's been going on for a number of years, but look, it, it's hard to have to, to get people involved and uh, it, it takes a lot to get it going as, as people have been involved in the yep. game know. Uh, yeah, I think from an Indigenous perspective, it's even harder because... A, you need to find the players. You need to find enough players to mm. to put a squad together. But then you need to get funding. Um, you need to be able to find sponsors to 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 get players over, to get coaches, to yeah. get team managers, physios, and and everything else. So it's a it's a huge ask. But look, it's it's something that I'm you know want to take on to to try and promote the game here. So that whole squad that you've got, um, and they're representing South Australia. So all the players have to be from South Australia, obviously. No, no. no. So not necessarily. Yeah. Look, I mean this. It's, still- it's it's a tournament for to to get players playing the game. Yep. Um, first and foremost, it's a talent ID camp as well um, because off the back of these championships, uh, there'll be a selection for the the Australian Indigenous Indigenous Roos men's yep. team and the Australian Indigenous Koalas women's team. So, uh, look, we just want players playing yep. um, and and as many as possible. I know that. Um, there's already a couple of 
couple of um, players that are from Northern Territory that are looking to play for South Australia, which is fine. Um, you just want to get squads out there. My daughter is actually going to play for Northern Territory. Oh, because wow. I don't think we're going to get uh, enough for a women's team this year. But uh, it's it's just about getting the kids out there and, and yeah. playing and unearthing some potential talent. And what's the excitement like within the Indigenous community to have a, like a tournament like this and expanding with a South Australian team as well? Look, it's going to be great. Um, I guess my work within Indigenous football in South Australia started a couple of years ago, three years ago, um, being part of the the SASTA program, which is a South Australian Aboriginal Training yep. Association, um, which has it's a school based program for years ten, eleven, and twelve. Uh, where they come in one day a week and uh, deliver an education component, whether it's a Cert 3 or uh, something in hospitality, Aboriginal studies, um, fitness, Uh, and then they break off into specialised sports. So football was introduced, um, but it was only because we've got, we got some initial funding from the state government at the time um, through um, Steve Marshall, which was great to, to get that off the ground. And that's an opportunity to get more kids playing. We've seen those numbers grow year on year um, from, from, you know, four or five to 10 to, to 18 mm. in its third year. So it's, it's great to see that program expand as well. And you also coach the, uh, the Australian Indigenous Koalas as well, the women's team. What's yep. that like to, to, to coach them? Look, it's, uh, again, it's another uh, honour for me to be, to be able to do that. Um, you know, to have players come in and represent their communities from across Australia uh, is a huge moment for them. Uh, and look, that it's a pathway as well yep. for them to, to continue developing their football strengths uh, and, and hopefully go on to yep. the next stage as well, whether it be Matildas uh, for the women, obviously, or um, Socceroos for the men. What... Um and who do they play against? Do they play against other countries or just locally? Do they play against other teams? How does it yeah. work? So the last couple of years, um, we've just been playing exhibition matches against local NPL teams. Yep. Uh, but the, the great thing about that is, and I've had the benefit of coaching them for two years now, is that we get a group of players coming in who don't really know each other. We get mm. probably two training sessions and then we play against uh, a local WNPL team who have played together for a number of weeks, months, years, and we go out and produce yep. some really good football. Um, and I guess that just goes to show that you know, the players are technically very good um, and they've got good cohesion, good understanding with each other. Um, we've we've won one game, we've played two games, we've won one and drawn one. So I'm undefeated also <laughs> as a national team coach. <laughs> There you go. That's another thing to add to your. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, having that team though, the koalas. Um, for you, someone like your daughter that's playing, she does she look up to that team to try and be a part of that, and also the Matildas as a stepping stone to get there. Absolutely. Um, you know, my my daughter hadn't played for a number of years. She's uh, seventeen. Well, she hasn't really played any football. Um, she played a bit of school football, but on the back of me going to coach yep. the the koalas, she wants to. She wants to be involved in football as a player now. There you go. And she's aspiring to to make that team, which which is fantastic and something that I love. Um, and it's great that that she's got that ambition. But yeah, the the other benefit is I've got a, an older son as well, um, who stopped playing when he was thirteen. He's twenty one now. Uh, he 
played tennis for a long time, but he also wants to get is is involved in football again uh, and wanting to play again because he wants to to play in the Indigenous Roos team. So yep. it's it's great that you know on a personal level, my involvement in the game yep. at this level has encouraged my own kids to to want to take up the game again and and aspire to 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 be footballers as well well there you go if it does that to another another handful of other kids Absolutely. it's just that's a perfect it's working already yeah and that's and that's the whole aim is to to get kids um to i guess back themselves and, yeah. and give it a crack because uh, if they don't give it a try then they'll mm. never know it's great that we've got these initiatives um at the moment for the indigenous community but if you look at someone like the afl They've got so much um, indigenous opportunities out there for footballers. What um, what do you think the Australian football needs to do to to get it to another level and even to have uh, producing a lot of indigenous footballers across Australia? Yeah, look, if you look at um, what is being done in the country at the moment, uh, I think the the most significant contribution at the moment is through John Moriarty Foundation. Yep. Um, through developing players and. What I love about that model is that not only are they playing football, but he's providing scholarships for, mm. for kids to get an education. So uh, that's such an important piece of mm. being involved in football as well. as uh, And it's important belief that I have is that the education yep. is key. Um, but, you know, outside of that, there's, there's just not a lot on, um, not a lot of organisations um, contributing. I'm part of the Australian Indigenous Football Council now, uh, which is independent to the the Federation because we're of a view that there's just not enough work being done by yep. the Federation. So we'll leave it to us uh, and, and we'll start to do this stuff. Um, and look, yep. that's, that's a, it's a big task um, when you're competing against the other codes and the money that they invest and we're an independent council that... Yep doesn't have that funding um doesn't have the support from the federation at this stage um you know we, we're trying to trying to set up ourselves at a state level as well so that we can get support from the state federations to to help us just chip away and yep. at this stage that's what it's got to be we've just it's it's small steps just keep chipping away events like the first nations indigenous football cup um, having the indigenous koalas, the indigenous roos mm. playing these games uh, is all small steps to to getting more kids playing. Now talking about um, creating awareness for the indigenous football, the the AFL do um, the weekly the rounds, the indigenous rounds and all that, where they just they highlight it for the whole week. Everyone gets their own jerseys and stuff. We don't have that yet in the uh, in the A League. Locally, we're starting to see a little bit more of this, which is fantastic. And your your club's involved in it, Croydon FC. You're the coach now um, in the NPL. So this um, you've just coming up this week. You've got the uh, Indigenous round against Metro Stars. That's Robbie right. Saracino is yeah. the uh, your former your former um, coach as well. And yeah, I was assistant coach. Assistant. Yeah. So now you're playing against each other in this round. What's it mean to have this uh, celebration of um, Indigenous football? Look, it's. It's a huge achievement, um, and it's credit to to both Croydon and Metro Stars. I know Metro Stars were really keen at the time to to get this off the ground because they actually uh, run the SASTA program yep. um, for the Indigenous kids. So their involvement over the last three years with Indigenous football has been great as well. And 
as a result of being involved in that. They want to contribute to the game more as well. Yep. And uh, we're into our second year of the Indigenous round. Um, should have been the third year. The first year was um, called off because of COVID. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's great. And it's great that both clubs are embracing it. Um, we've had students from the SASTA program design the, the strips oh, wow. each year for both Croydon and Metro. So it's it's about having community involvement. Uh, it's about raising awareness. And you, know, you mentioned that you know, the, the AFL do it so well. What I, what I really struggle struggle to believe is that, you know, that the A-League's been going 17 years or mm. something like that. Um, can't have an Indigenous round, but if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, they have a Star Wars round. Yeah, they which, did, yeah. Like that—that that is an embarrassment yeah. on the league that that you can put time and effort into something like that, but you can't recognise the significance of Indigenous football and, and acknowledge that. They even had, yeah, they had the uh, I think it was Darth Vader walking onto yeah. the pitches and stuff. So. Oh, it's it's a joke. It's <laughs> yeah, it's an absolute joke. So I do, yeah, I do get that, and but it's good that it's hopefully it starts from the, the ground up and the NPL teams get behind it, and then hopefully once at one stage the A League. Well, um, yeah. it will even takes one club to do it. Absolutely. Um, you know, what I'd love to see is to, to have a, a whole of round, mm. Indigenous round um, within the NPL. Um, that'd be great. And, you know, I, I do have meetings coming up with uh, FSA and, you know, I know that they that they want to support this type, these types of initiatives. Yeah. So, uh, again, it's, we can't expect everything to happen all at once. Um, but if you've got people that are willing to, you know, put the time and effort in, yeah. which uh, at this stage I'm I'm wanting to do that now. Um, Steve Steve Pepper um, at, at Port Pirates is uh, is contributing as well. So um, you know, if you can get people to to be involved and and want to promote this game, then then we can make it happen. I've even seen the State League One team getting behind it as well. Adelaide Hills Hawks had the Indigenous jersey as well. Um, I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. there's other teams slowly. I might have missed a couple others that are probably doing it as well. But it's good to see everyone's taking the initiative and starting to hopefully get to a point where we get to see everyone do it and the whole round is dedicated to it. Absolutely. Um, you know, that would be a massive achievement and it would great it'd be great to see uh, from Football South Australia to be to be the first MPL league that does it uh, in the country. Um, you know, it's uh, I think we've got the right people in place to to do it. I think there's already good buy-in from other clubs. Yep. Um, I know uh, Adelaide City a couple of years ago wanted to do a, an Indigenous round with Croydon, um, but for whatever reason didn't go ahead. So, yeah, there is there's genuine buy-in from from other clubs and, you know, it's, yeah, it's more work. It is. But, yep. you know, at the end of the day, we need to keep promoting this game as much as possible. And talking about the awareness, what um, what does it, what awareness does it bring to the Indigenous community? Like, what is so important about these rounds? Well, I, I think it's important to recognise uh, the Indigenous culture yep. um, to begin with uh, as as an overarching thing, but uh, we want to promote our game as being something that's inclusive for everybody. Yep. Now, we already we know that we have uh, a huge amount of uh, refugees playing the game and we can see what a significant contribution mm. they have to our game in this state. Um we want to promote the game within the Indigenous communities as well. And 
the the hard thing is, uh, to be honest, Johnny, is the the cost. Uh, it's yep. it's a barrier to entry, um, you know, within the indigenous and refugee communities because it is an expensive sport to play uh, at uh, a federation level. Uh, so, you know, is that going to get fixed in a day? Definitely not. But uh, it's it's something that I think if can be addressed, yep. we would see so many more kids playing the game as well. And hopefully that can we can see them coming through because we'll love to have another Travis Dodd in the Socceroos scoring against Kuwait and maybe an assist as well. And, and hopefully, that, <laughs> hopefully that's not the second the second one because that might be a little way off. But yeah. no, you're right. It's and ultimately that's that's what we'd love to see. Yeah. We'd love to see more uh, Indigenous players uh, representing our country and and scoring goals on the world stage. And before I let you go, I want to talk about your coaching career. Now you're you've left football um, in about five years ago now, and you're now coaching. So you've coached a little bit at LA United with. The women's team now you're doing the indigenous coaching and now you're at Croydon FC uh, senior men's football for the NPL what's that been like to to take on a new uh, a new role and position it's been a bit of a roller coaster <laughs> uh for sure uh, I'm into my second year yep. as a coach and the first year was was tough because uh whilst I was an assistant coach with uh, Robbie Saraceno at Metro Stars for four years I still don't think it prepares you yep. for a head coach role, um, having to take all the calls from the players, having to have all the responsibility for planning sessions, meetings, videos, and, and everything mm. like that. It's it's full on. Um, add to that, you know, the the environment that we're in at the moment with Croydon, uh, in that we don't have a home ground, we don't have a home base. Um, it's very disjointed. We've got our 18s reserves training different venues. Um, it's it's very difficult. So. Mm for the club and the players to have done what they've done in the last couple of years, which is you know, avoid relegations, they've made finals once, uh, is a really, really good achievement. Yeah. And when we move into the new ground, I think we're really going to see this club excel. Yep. Um, but back to how I found it, I enjoy it when we're winning a lot. <laughs> yep. I really enjoy it when we're winning. <laughs> Uh, not so much when when we lose. Yep, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> but uh, you talk about the new uh, not having a facility just yet, but it's just around the corner. It's been put off a little bit. But for those that don't know, you got a brand new um, ground being built in uh, in Regency, I believe it is. That's right. So it's away from Croydon. You've moved it and moved about what it's a few hundred meters down the road. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it's a, a brand new facility. Got a, um, a big grandstand, new change rooms, and I think a grass pitch is going to be laid there right next to the uh, Southern Expressway. And it's a great viewing uh, for anyone driving past. But what's it mean to the players and yourself to have a home base like that and be able to train there, play there, and have your own um, your own club rooms as well? Well, it's, it'll be huge. Um... You know, there's going to be two artificial pitches, so that's actually an artificial pitch that will be the main pitch. Yep. Uh, and then the pitch behind is is artificial, uh, and then there's also a grass pitch for the mini roos. Um, you know, the stadium holds uh, the the grandstand holds uh, 250 people. There's four change rooms, so that means that you can have dedicated you know change rooms for the for the women's teams as yep. well, which is really important uh, in growing our game as well. So, uh, look. It, it's great for for the club, even from a financial point of view, you know, to to get gate takings, to get canteen, to get bar money, yep. because it's something that the club hasn't had for for three years. Uh, and again, that's another important point to to make that the club has achieved what it's done um, without 
Yeah, that, those extra yeah. that extra income coming in as well. Once you move in, it's going to be a fantastic thing. Hopefully, the the results come with it, and you guys can uh, be more comfortable at your home ground and start seeing uh, better results for it. No more excuses for the boys when we move in. <laughs> that's for sure. And what's it like? Actually, one last thing. You played with uh, Mark Brazali. Now he's in your club, heavily involved. What's that been like uh, being around him? Oh, he is a pleasure. <laughs> he's an absolute joy to be around. <laughs> Um, so as my technical director, especially after we lose, yep. um, no, look, you know, he's, he's very good. Um, very supportive yeah. as are the committee of me, um, which is all you can ask for. Um, you know, Mark and the committee just want Croydon to, to succeed, um, yep. and they'll do whatever they can to make that possible. So from that perspective, it's been great. Um, Mark's also our reserves coach as well, so he gets a bit frustrated when I'm pulling rank on him and <laughs> uh, you know just pulling players from his sessions and and things like that. But um, part and parcel of uh, reserves football, I guess. Well, that um, sounds like it's all going well down there at Croydon. Hopefully, it gets even better with the uh, with the new facility just around the corner. But before I let you go, I know you're very very busy, uh, Travis. So got to do the last two kicking it questions. I uh, ask every every guest I have on the show. Who would you like to kick it with on the park? Anyone in the world? Uh, Roy Keane. Oh, nice. Roy Keane, yeah. I, I think he's an absolute character. Yeah. Um, he's an, uh, look, the only reason I want to go for a kick with him is because I want to go for a beer with him after. Um, oh, yep. Yeah, he's, uh, I love watching his interviews. He's just His take on football is yeah. just so uh, black and white. Uh, yeah, I'd love to... To pick his brain. Well, this probably he'll probably be the answer for this one as well. So, who would you love to kick it with on a Saturday night, watching football and drink, <laughs> have some beers? Well, <laughs> yes, yeah, Roy, Roy Keane again. Yeah. Um, no, look, yeah, he's a, a yeah. legend of bloke. You can have two people here, so you can have one international, so you can have him, and then someone locally as well. Okay, locally, um, locally, um, I'd, I'd probably go. I think I'll go. Flores, Marcos. Oh, yeah. A really good relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Good understanding with him. I still keep in touch with him as well. Um, yeah. The main thing is that after a couple of drinks, I wouldn't have to do much talking because <laughs> he talks a lot. Um, so I could just sit back and listen and watch the football. He does. I went for a coffee with him once. We spoke for two hours about football. Yeah. So <laughs> did you speak in that time? A little bit. <laughs> I asked him how he was, but um, <laughs> it was, um, no, he's, 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 he's a great, he's a very passionate guy. Yeah. And, He's something that we need in this game. He loves the game. He loves the the next generation as well. Absolutely. Um, the work that he's doing uh, to Adelaide Atletico as well yeah. is, is fantastic. Um, such an inclusive club mm. um, as well and wish him every success um, for growth in that club as well. Yeah, no, there you go. So you got um, Marcos Flores and Roy Keane. On yeah, a Saturday what a night. combination. <laughs> That'll be good. Maybe chuck in Jamison as well. <laughs> then you have a great party. But thank you so much for joining me, uh, Travis. I love what you're doing with the Indigenous football community and uh, wish you all the best with that. And also hopefully see some uh, more wins on the on the table with uh, Croydon FC. No worries. Thanks for your time, Johnny. That was Travis Dodd, the head coach of Croydon FC in the NPL. Make sure you subscribe to Kicking It Local wherever you get your podcast so you can get a taste of the SA football community. Plus, follow at Kicking It Local SA on Instagram and Twitter so you don't miss any of the action. See you soon. This episode was proudly brought to you by Southside Espresso Bar, Adelaide's bar-style coffee house located in Kidman Park.
Make sure you say day to Jason today for your coffee fix. 326 Finden Road, Kidman Park.